Hello, uh, David Jones is my name and I'm part of WBC's 10.30am service and it's my pleasure to be able to read Isaiah 55. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labour on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations to you, you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Well, as we come to God's word today in Isaiah 55, let's pray and ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us how we might come to place our trust and enjoy your salvation through your son and we pray that as we respond to that we might see the response that you're looking for in our lives today for we ask this in Jesus name amen well we're used to having to pay for everything in this world especially food I can remember visiting Harrods in London with my wife Christine back in 1999 and being charged 10 pounds for a cup of tea and a scone. Now, at the time, the Australian dollar was worth half the British pound, so I was painfully aware that I was paying $20 for what was a small cup of tea and a tiny scone that we shared. Well, I guess they don't claim to be the world's leading luxury department store for nothing, but it did feel like I should get to keep the Royal Dalton cup that the tea was being served in. And this is probably why people like wedding receptions. You know, often amazing food and you don't have to pay a cent for it. 
Sometimes they're lavish affairs at fancy locations. And it seems amazing that it can all be for free. Christine and I attended a wedding at the Rocks about 15 years ago, right on the water, looking across to the Opera House. It was a smaller gathering, around 50 people or so, and the food was incredible. The views were stunning, of course, and towards the end of the meal, a barge came over to the little cove where we were sitting and let off an impressive display of fireworks. And we were sort of looking at each other, wondering how we got to attend such a five-star reception, which much must have come with a matching price tag for the couple's parents. Well, as we come to Isaiah 55 today, we're asked to receive an amazing offer from God. And the offer depends on the payment of God's suffering servant. It's an astounding new covenant which is announced, and our acceptance of the offer hinders on our response to God's servant, Jesus. And so the question that I want us to consider today is this. What does responding to Jesus look like? If we're called to receive an amazing offer, how are we called to respond? What will it produce? What does it look like to respond to Jesus? Well, the first answer to this is humanity's thirst being quenched. Humanity's thirst being quenched. Notice what is stated in verses 1 to 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Well, in light of the servant's triumph in Isaiah 53, which we considered last week, and the covenant promises of peace, which follow in Isaiah 54, this chapter opens with this wonderful invitation. The thirsty and hungry are invited to a glorious banquet where the food is all free. There's a generous offer to all those who know their need. But it's like a puzzle, as you can buy things even though you have no money, in verse 1. It highlights our inability to pay our helplessness. We're meant to assume that this free feast is available because someone else has already paid for us. And within the context of the preceding chapters, that is what the Lord's servant has done. In Isaiah 53, the servant acts as a guilt offering, taking on our sin, dying in our place. And so this banquet that is offered is the fruit of Christ's suffering for us. But in contrast, in the first part of verse 2, God's people are spending money and not getting any bread or food that nourishes. They're, they're working for things, but they don't satisfy. And this is referring to what happened when Israel gave themselves to idols, when they looked to false gods and their own strength. They paid for statues and they offered gifts, but they received no help in return. And this free banquet is also the fulfillment of promises that God made in the past to King David. Now, the theme of covenant is raised in verse 3 as these blessings that flow to us from God's servant are bound up with an everlasting covenant that the Lord announces to his people here. 
And this new everlasting covenant is seen as a fulfillment of the promises made back to King David, the covenant made with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where a king in his family line would rule forever. And we're told in verse 4 that God made David a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. He conquered the nations around him and brought them under his rule. And so now restored to the land, Israel is to do something similar. In verse 5, they summon nations because of the Lord their God. But their summoning of the nations is not through military power, but because of what God is doing in their midst. Israel was to be like a magnet attracting the people of all nations into the kingdom of God. And of course, ultimately, it was their servant king who would be the one that drew people to them. But like in Isaiah 49, verse 6, which we considered a few weeks ago, where we were told that it was just too little for God's chosen servant to just bring a fresh start for the nation of Israel, that he must also bring the Gentiles in, we see here that God's concern is for the whole world. His desire had always been for people everywhere to enter into relationship with him, to know the wonderful thirst-quenching, hunger-busting, satisfaction of enjoying his love well as we apply this to ourselves we need to grasp that all of humanity thirsts for god you know even if they often present themselves as disinterested or at times anti-god you know billions of people today are thirsting for something to fill that god-shaped hole within each of us of course many go searching to quench their thirst in all the wrong places In the winter of 1968, uh, the famous British pop band, The Beatles, made a trip to the Maharishi Ashram in Rikikesh, India, due to their fascination with transcendental meditation. They were seeking God through meditation. But as the Beatles retreated to India, optimistic about the possibilities of peace and harmony, their optimism quickly turned to disillusionment with the Maharishi and his teachings. They didn't feel like they had found God or got any closer through this ritual at a sacred site. Now, they weren't seeking the true God, and so we're never going to find what would truly satisfy. And many today do the same. They're scouring the world for some guru teacher or some ritual, some special sacred place that they might find what is missing. But the Bible teaches us clearly that we approach the true God of the Bible through his son sent to save us, the servant Jesus who laid down his life for us. It's through his sacrifice on our behalf that God calls us to come to him, the one who can truly satisfy, who meets our thirst at no cost. And if we have had our thirst quenched, we need to be directing others to Jesus too so that they might receive him. Well, that brings us to our second answer to what responding to Jesus looks like. It looks like turning away from our old life. Secondly, it involves turning away from our old life. So notice again what is recorded in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord 
and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Well, here is where the metaphor of rich food and satisfying water gives way to an explicit statement. See, the delightful and satisfying food here is mercy and pardon. It's freely available because it has been paid for in full by the servant's substitutionary death, which was described in detail for us in Isaiah 53 that we considered last week. That is, Jesus paid for our sin through his death, and so he wins us forgiveness or a pardon from God the Father by bearing the punishment that our rejection of God deserves. However, notice here, the sinner or unrighteous person must give up their old ways, turn from their old thinking and turn to God to receive this pardon while there is still time. So many people think they've got forever to make such a decision. But the clock is ticking. And although the offer is made to everyone, it's certainly not the case that we're automatically saved because Jesus has laid down his life. Rather, we need to repent, to make an about face and accept Christ's death and resurrection as the payment for our sin. And so this language of turning away from sin is the language of repentance. It's an acknowledgement that you were wrong, that you were rebelling against God, that you've made a new start now to obey him. A friend of mine was getting a lift one day and they were heading across the harbour bridge at a time close to peak hour when the driver realised that they had left something behind and had to go back. But the driver didn't wait until he had crossed the bridge and then find a place to turn around. No, he did an insane U-turn in the middle of the harbour bridge and headed back in the other direction. Now that is a picture of repentance, a 180 degree turn that sees you heading in the other direction. You see, the wonderful offer of pardon must have been hard to grasp for the first hearers. It must have appeared like a fantastic dream. But if so, that was because their human minds, like ours, were limited. God's thoughts are as high above theirs and ours as the heavens are above the earth. This is what verses 8 and 9 point out. One of the differences seems to be between God's thinking and ours is God's abundant willingness to freely forgive, albeit at the price of his son. And that's a characteristic not always seen in the way that people relate to one another. Well, God is insistent here in this passage that this is no dream, that his plans will blossom and come to fulfillment as surely as parched ground, when rain falls upon it, produces fruit. His word, which brought our world into creation, will always achieve its purpose. And so his his word of salvation goes forward recreating people, many will hear the offer of pardon and respond. There's not only a return from exile on offer here for the Israelites, but an opportunity for individuals to find forgiveness and therefore a fresh start. But repentance is costly and we need to count that cost if we're to truly turn back to God. He's not looking for any cheap forgiveness where we're not really meaning what we say. To turn back to him means giving up things, our self-rule and sinful habits ultimately. 
There's a story of a boy who got his hand uh, caught inside an expensive vase and his upset parents applied soap and cooking oil, trying to get his hand out of the vase without any success. On and on they went, getting increasingly frustrated. And when it seemed that there was just no possibility of getting his hand out of this vase and they were ready to break it as the only way to free him, the frightened boy suddenly said, would it help if I let go of the coin that I'm holding? You see, all too often it's the same with us. We risk the truly valuable God's forgiveness because we will not let go of insignificant things that we're focused on now. I don't know what it might be that is holding you back today. We all have to turn from different things. But ultimately, we're turning away from our rebellion against God, our refusal to put Him in charge over us. You see, if sin is not to be our downfall, we have to repent and trust in Jesus who paid for our rebellion so that we might be pardoned. Well, where are you at today? Have you repented? You know, today would be a great time to make that decision, to turn back to God. And if you're a Christian here today, are you continuing to repent? See, repentance and faith is not just expressed at the point of trusting Jesus for the first time. It's a lifelong action. We continue to repent of our sin each day, continue to place our trust in our Saviour daily. This is the ongoing process which is central to our Christian walk. Which brings us to a final answer to what responding to Jesus looks like. Finally, it involves focusing on heaven. Focusing on heaven. Check out again the fruit of our right response in verses 12 and 13 of Isaiah 55. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. See, Israel coming home from Babylon was just one small expression of what was meant to come out of a place in which human sin seemingly kept winning. We're assured here that God can achieve salvation that is nothing less than a new creation. You know, the tall evergreen trees like juniper and myrtle will one day overtake the weeds of thorn bushes and briars. This is a picture of the new heavens and earth where the curse of sin has been defeated once and for all. There will be a new world and the return of the exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem will simply be the first step towards that. A new heavens and earth is the ultimate goal of the new covenant. Our pardon through Christ's death and resurrection is designed to bring us eternal life with God in his new creation. You see, the theme of covenant has been big in chapter 54 and continues into this chapter. We've seen the covenant with Noah, which had the sign of the rainbow, the covenant with Abraham, the sign of circumcision. The Sinai covenant was marked by the sprinkling of blood. And here this everlasting new covenant is appropriately has an everlasting sign, a transformed, permanently renewed universe. 
You see, all the promise of God would find their fulfillment there. Yes, their amen in Jesus. As those who are his enter into his eternal kingdom. But notice the fruit of receiving eternal life through turning back to God and trusting in his son. See, in verse 12 here, we're told that it's joy and peace. Now, it's common in the Bible to represent heaven as, as coming to a great banquet or feast. Similar to that pictured in verses 1 and 2 of our passage. And this is expressed here as entering into joy and enjoying the peace that God gives. And so these emotions and experiences are not just because of the new environment, the new creation of heaven, but because of the transformation that has taken place in a believer's life. You know, like the new earth, we're released from the bondage and the marring effects of sin when we reach heaven. Romans 8, verses 19 to 21, bring this theme together. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own design, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. You see, we should long for heaven. Because eternal life won't be marred by sin. Oh, how I'd like to live in a place freed from the all-pervading effects of sin in my own life and the lives of others. This will bring freedom. It will bring a joy and a peace which we have not known in this world. Because life won't be impacted by suffering and death either. You see, without sin, the consequences of suffering and our great enemy death are removed. And the result is that God will be glorified. We're told that his renown, his fame will be extended. Well, as we apply these truths to ourselves today, I think we need to recapture the truth that this world is not where our hearts should be focused. You know, previous generations of Christians seem to have more of this perspective. This world is not my home, they sang. I'm simply passing through. But our society today is rich and we've put down roots. You know, we've tr traded the sweet by and by for the prosperous here and now. And so in this era of instant gratification, people can often walk down the blind alleys of the dazzling experiences on offer today. Returning to Harrods, they installed a brand new dining hall um, last year, the cost of several million dollars. And I'm sure now that would be a dazzling dining experience. I'm, I could get even less for my 10 pounds than I did back in 1999. But there's not just those eating experiences, is there? There's the new technologies, the interactive entertainment, the overseas holidays. Now, none of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but they often prove to be a big distraction that can lead us away from the gospel that saves, or at least reduce our interest in eternity and so when things are going well in this life we become content with the small superficial joys of this life and heaven well it somehow loses its shine but this place is not our home it can never satisfy true joy now is as elusive as the bright lights that never deliver you know, lasting joy and peace 
is only to be found in relationship with God. And it will only be fully realized when we see him face to face in heaven. Now, no one, no thing can fill that God-shaped space in our hearts except for Christ, the servant who laid down his life, through whom we have true life, abundant life. And so as we conclude today, looking at Isaiah 55, responding to Jesus looks like our thirst for God being quenched forever, turning away from our old life and focusing, thirdly, on heaven. Will you pray with me? Our Father God, we want to acknowledge that the offer of salvation, of new life, is so amazing, so undeserved, so incredible, that we should be standing in awe of your grace, your undeserved favor shown to us in the giving of your Son, the Lord Jesus. But we acknowledge that to receive the offer of eternal life, of being with you forever in heaven, in a place that is free of suffering and death, where we truly have peace and the joy that we're so often longing for in this world. We realize to receive those things, we truly need to turn back in genuine repentance, that we need to give up our old sinful ways and thoughts that we might receive your pardon, that we might know your mercy, not because of anything we've done or will ever do, but because of the perfect work, the substitutionary death of your son, Jesus, who bore our sin on the cross and then who rose on the third day so that he might offer life, life eternal to those who place their trust in him. Lord, we pray that you might help anyone who has yet to turn back to you that you might work in their hearts and minds this day that they might see their need of their savior jesus and for those of us who know christ already help us to continue in repentance and faith help us to fix our eyes on that which is to come not on this world which is passing for we ask all this in christ's powerful name amen